Hello and welcome to Unmasked. I'm Brendan. He's Evan. Hello. On this episode, From Russia with Love. All right, man. It's your big, your big Bond debut. I know. Are you excited? Hundred plus episodes, and we finally got to Bond. I'm ready. I know that's kind of sad. Well, that's just it's it is kind of crazy that a a new Bond movie has not come out since we've started this podcast. But that's kind of how it goes. It would have, yeah, in a different role a few months ago. But we'll get there. But yeah, I'm excited. Cool. Uh, as I told you before we started recording, I have not really done anything cool or new. Had some crazy work stuff and some family stuff. Uh, I've done just kind of watching some of the same stuff, playing the same stuff, and uh, nothing really worth worth mentioning here. That's but right. I assume not. It's not the same for you. Uh, no, I've been consuming lots of media still, as is just what what I do nowadays with the uh, situation, but. I think the um, a big thing for for me that I've been spending time with uh, recently is Ghosts of Tsushima, which um, I know you're familiar with, or at least you've heard of. You know, kind of know the basics. It's a PS4 samurai game um, developed by Sucker Punch. They made the infamous games previously, um, and I'm probably like a third, maybe a little more than a third through it, and it's definitely. F- fun uh but it's also definitely not perfect it is a very um is if you've played any kind of like open world game from like let's say the first half of this video game generation so like assassin's creed before the newer ones and like like the infamous games and like you know other open world type games like it's very much in that mold like it's doing nothing new in terms of structure i think the story the story itself and the way they tell the story is pretty boring, but it looks amazing. It's like this, it's set on the you know, Japanese island of Tsushima um, and just has some incredible, you know, um, just kind of different land areas and just the effects and, and like the style, that samurai style that they're going for. I don't know if it's authentic or not, even like, you know, referencing old movies and stuff. Like I don't, that's something I'm not super familiar with, but it just looks really cool to play and like, when you're in the zone and you're, you know, fighting Mongols, like the invaders and you're, um, being sneaky, that's kind of part of it is samurai, I guess, aren't supposed to be sneaky. Like they're supposed to be, you know, upfront and just honorable, but that's the ghost. They start calling your character a ghost in this because they start also being stealthy and like doing stealth kills, which sounds like something they just kind of did because it would make it more of a video game. And the story doesn't really deal with it very much, except mentioning it like every once in a while. Um, but it's fun. Like like in the moment, it is pretty fun. Um, so it's it's a good. I think especially like right now, it's a pretty good game to just kind of turn on and kind of just zone out for like an hour and just run to the the you know next point on the map that has a question mark and see what's there. Even though it's always going to be one of the same five things that you just do over and over and over. Um, but just like getting on your horse, because it looks so good, just getting on your horse and like running around is pretty fun. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'm not giving this like a, you know, A plus endorsement. But if 
if you feel like you're in the mood for a, an open world game that is not doing really anything new at all, but is solid, it's worth you know worth checking out. And if if you like samurai type stuff, then it's you know obviously going to scratch that itch very well too. Cool. Um, but yeah, is it? Is there? Uh, now I know you told me you've told me previously the story is really nothing to write home about. But is there any effort to? You know, like in the Assassin's Creed games, they kind of throw you into the world so you learn some of, like, the real-life characters from that, or <laughs> characters, you know, real-life kind of famous people from the era and learn some more about the history. Is there any kind of historical accuracy or information that's doled out? So, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm certainly not the expert to answer that question 100% for sure, but I, from from what I understand, it's all, like, fictional characters and fictional I don't think Tsushima is a real island. Maybe it is. I don't know. But like, mm. I, I think it's. I think it's a kind of a fictional thing, just set in the time period this of era. Mongol yeah. invaders. Which I again, I don't even know if that's. I mean, I, I think that's a real thing. But like, you know, it's pretty. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty. It's just. It's using. The, it's using that time period just kind of create this like samurai fantasy world. That's. I, I mean, fantasy in terms of like, you know realistic or not what you imagine in your head of like a samurai yeah what you want a sam yeah what you how yeah. you want to feel being a samurai if, yeah this game is like five years ago which i think i guess they've been working on this for a long time so that makes sense but like five years ago if you were like i'm gonna make a samurai game this is like the game you would want i think the thing is like we've other games like especially red dead redemption 2 have kind of moved past that rigid structure of open world games is something more dense and interesting and dynamic. So um, it's kind of hard, at least for me, it's kind of hard to go back, but it's still fun. So it's worth checking out if you like having a checklist of stuff to do and a cool world to do it in. Uh, but that's kind of cool. the main thing. I, um, oh, I'm sorry. Did you have another comment about nope. that? Oh. Just said cool. Cause I, cool. I, I often, cool. sometimes I like just the checklist of things to do. Totally. Yeah. Especially, that's... I mean, if it's fun, like man, that's a, like Spider Man for me. I thought, I mean, I thought the story was great in Spider Man, but yeah. moving around the world was fun and combat was so fun. I didn't mind doing those things over and over to finish all the things on the checklist. Yeah, and I think for me, even though, well, I'm not liking the story, but I would like this game overall much more if I could also just skip the cutscenes, which you can't do. Which usually I don't skip cutscenes, but I'm like just super don't care. Um, but even like when people are talking and like a really boring, just like two people staring at each other, like talking, you can't like advance the dialogue, even if you're reading it, which like oh. most major games do that now. So like that, that really bugs me that they just didn't even have that layer of like, especially when you're already not really feeling the story. Totally, yeah. Yeah. And the, and like just the, the way they still, except for like a cutscene every like few missions, like the way they tell the story is two people like talking to me, like. Just like not very actually cinematic, so it's but yeah, it's it's fine. Um, but yeah, outside that, I saw you know I've been watching some movies. I, I did revisit a couple that I know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, yeah, you're a fan of both of them. Is um, some cool sci-fi stuff with Annihilation, which I know we actually covered on one of our earliest episodes, right? That was pretty early on. I think. Yeah, maybe three years ago. Yeah. Um, Jeez, that it? Yeah. <laughs> rewatched. Uh, yeah, rewatched that and. Um, and also rewatched Ad Astra, which is more recent. That came out last year, last fall, I think. Um, and I, I am a sucker for for Ad Astra. I'm a sucker for like cool looking and cool sounding space movies, 
and Ad Astra is very much that um, in kind of a like into the heart of darkness kind of vibe of just like increasingly like this journey of a guy on into new environments that are increasingly like either kind of messed up or like weird or like just, you know, the frontier of space in kind of a creepy yeah, way yeah. sometimes. Like it's, it's kind of cool. Um, and Annihilation, I just, I knew I liked that movie, but I kind of forgot how, just how damn good that movie is. Like it, that's a movie that I know I've probably seen it three, maybe four times, but I think the more I watch it, it's going to like always just grow on me more and more. Like how grow kind of like a <laughs> cancer kind of like the shimmer. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, annihilation. So good. It's so good. Nice. Yeah. I, yeah I, I did like each of those movies, but I, yeah, I, I kind of want to rewatch them sooner rather than later. Now, did you? I'm assuming I'm assuming both of those in, you watched in 4K and that they looked yeah, gorgeous. So, so that was part of it. Is I I was I think recently I've just been really itching to watch like 4K like Dolby Vision like the best quality stuff. Um, yeah. I think that, that's kind of what led me to even rewatch those. But yeah, they both look quite good um, in that nice. top, top quality. So yeah, that's kind of been been the gist of my life <laughs> cool recently and of yeah. and of course reliving your your re-experiencing your bond passion which we'll talk about next of course that never goes away but <laughs> so to remind you know if anyone did not catch our last episode on the old guard from netflix we kind of revealed a, a plan to you know provide a little structure to the unmasked from the past classic episodes we've been doing uh you know with a, other than some netflix originals a lack of theatrical releases of course with the pandemic going on and to kind of look forward to the next bond film that may or may not actually come out in november evan is picking one film from each of the bonds leading up to the no time to die release and this is the first one so we're going in kind of chronological bond actor order with sean connery and he picked from russia with love which i didn't even know until i started watching it last night that it was the second bond after dr no oh yeah and just before we i turned it over to you i realized that i saw i think i saw golden nine theaters i assume i did so i've seen every bond in theaters since then mm-hmm. and the brosden era is when i watched that is when my brother dad and i would always rent old bonds yeah. from the video store so I think all of any pre-Brosnan Bond I saw was in like elementary school, middle school, definitely not past high school. So like, oh, so I like didn't, I wasn't even sure. Like, I didn't think I'd seen From Russia with Love, but I was like, I'm honestly not going to know till I start watching this thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I had not seen it before, so this was the first time for me, but definitely not the first time for you. So no. t- talk a little bit, I guess, about. What led you to uh, pick this this film and why it's special? Sure, and I so yeah, as as I think everybody listening has figured out, I'm I am a big Bond fan, and, and I my experience isn't that different from yours. But I I remember growing up watching like whatever VHS Bond movies they had at the library. We would always rent you know whatever they had, and um, they would do like the marathons like over I think like Thanksgiving and like holidays like on TBS and Spike. At some point, they started doing you know Bond marathons like. I, when I, once I li- learned I liked Bond as a kid, I just kind of consumed all of that stuff wherever it was. Um, and I've just never stopped. 
basically since it's just kind of clicked for me and and i think part, part of what i'm looking forward to revisiting some of these movies is there's no f- there is no franchise like the bond series um i think everybody listening also knows what james bond is no matter how much of it they've seen but this franchise has been so far 24 soon to be 25 movies that have been produced by the same family the same same company with a lot of the same people working on it for years and years since 1962 like that's there's nothing like it out there um and so i think just with a with a franchise that's been around that long and has so many movies part of the fun is there's just so much there to dig into that's like unique to bond that isn't something you'd see elsewhere and that's kind of behind the scenes stuff um but but in front of the or like you, you know for the actual movie you know part of what i enjoy so much about bond too is like the f- the formula which again a lot of people know you know you could describe what that is pretty easily in, in some bullet points but um it, it gives it like a fun kind of familiarity and, and fun to see how some things got started in early movies and how they twist some of it later and kind of how the everything evolves like it's there's just a lot to dig into which is really fun um and so yeah for for this so you know we're kind of approaching it uh you know like you said kind of i think trying to pick one movie per bond actor um which is easier than easier for some than others certainly um and for me i picked for much with love for sean connery the first bond and as you said this is the second bond movie ever um and, you know, compared to most Bond movies, including, like, the modern perception of Bond, you know, For Much of a Love is still pretty early on in terms of them, like, figuring out what some of that formula was going to be. And some of that formula is not in this movie at all. Um, but I I like this movie probably the most of the Connery movies because I think um, it's definitely more grounded than any other Connery movie. Um, and I think it, I think it does the best job of feeling like a, I want to use the word authentic, which is not really true, but like more authentic, like cold war spy kind of like story than what most other Bond movies do. Cause yes, James Bond's a spy, but he's usually like kind of actually bad at being a spy. If you actually pay attention, um, he just happens to like, succeed because he is really good at being a blunt instrument it's like the the way ian fleming described him and how he's been described since then uh, as a character um but i I just i I love the the kind of you know as you go through this movie there's like three kind of competing people or competing like you know organizations you know the british the russians and then specter this kind of evil organization i think just the way it all twists together is is pretty fun and interesting but it's also again kind of grounded in a in a way um but it looks gorgeous Uh, i mean whatever we'll dig into a lot of specific stuff that i really like about it too but i will say a lot of people i think probably think of goldfinger as like the connery bond movie and perhaps the bond movie for certainly some people and goldfinger is the third bond movie so it came out you know after this um but Goldfinger, for as much as it did to like establish the formula that has carried on, the more I revisit it, the more I'm like, I don't actually think it's that great. Like, it's not, not that it's like bad, but just not as good as a lot of people think it is for some reason. Like, it's um, so, so that is not the movie I would pick. Um, 
it was for much of love. So I'm, I'm eager to talk about it. Um, I, I do actually like, I, I do have a note about Goldfinger because I can't remember what some kind of deal. I'm always getting Best Buy Blu-ray deals and things like that ever since I worked there in college. But I, there was something where I, I finally got um, Casino Royale on Blu-ray and it was like a buy two or some sort of deal. I had to pick another one and I got Goldfinger because mm. I was, remember thinking like, oh, Goldfinger, classic. Like this sure. is one, you know, Sean Connery's probably my second favorite. I mean, I like him and Craig are probably my favorites, you know. Um and yeah, so I, I have re- – that is the one exception to what I said earlier in terms of a, a re- recent rewatch. And and yeah, all the kind of iconic elements are there, but it just seemed, especially as time goes on, just very kind of dated and corny and not like a great way, I guess, along with all the misogynistic stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah. So I was pleased that you didn't pick one I had seen recently, but I was also kind of – pleasantly surprised by the more as you put it the more grounded less kind of hokey nature of this one while still overall being hokey uh, of the era (laughs) certainly yeah yeah um yeah so i I guess before before we go anything too specific i guess i mean what what were your general impressions um yeah, I, I enjoyed knowing nothing at all about it. I enjoyed how there was like a lack of kind of the gad, the goofy gadgets, the cars. He really did seem kind of like, uh, you know, my, my favorite Bonds are ones where he's kind of on the run or not on the run, but like kind of out on his own and there's not lots of like return to base and things like that. Oh, yep. So I kind of liked how he was in, um, you know, this foreign land on, he didn't really have like, he had that one guy that was his contact, but you know, he's kind of out on his own and trying to escape and get back and on the train. And I didn't realize the bulk of that kind of the end of the movie would be on that train. And, and you're right. There was some kind of classic spy stuff like, Oh, Hey, we have this tunnel. I'm, this is how we kind of ferry people to and from this consulate or whatever back here, or whatever. And yeah, you know, the one, the Russian, what was her name? Tan- Tanya or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, trying to do like a dead drop in that a really bad job, a very a giant gold disc or whatever, <laughs> but trying to do that dead drop in that in the museum or whatever yeah. that was. So, yeah. um, what else? Uh, I also really, really liked um, the kind of cold open. Yeah, just suddenly in, he's like in the middle. I was a little. It was interesting. I wasn't expecting it to be like a oh his. A Mission Impossible style mask ripoff, but uh, anyway, I'm getting too much into the details now. But I I did see some of the elements of the Bond franchise that I know, like kind of the icon iconic or unique kind of nemesis or hench you know henchman unique henchman character he faces off against without some of that hokiness I mentioned. So yeah, um, I enjoyed it. I, I did afterwards seeing that some people think this is like the best Bond ever, although I read that that's that opinion varies wildly oh, as you would assume bond, bond fans have a lot of different opinions yeah right because right when i first the first thing i saw was that and i was like oh man this is i don't know if this is i hope this isn't the best one <laughs> so it still had some like like you said i i, I this is a, sorry i know you asked me my initial opinions but this is a question there i have you for you yeah something i've never thought about because i started to read like contemporary reviews of it at the time and was it made to be like at times, it almost has an Austin Powers vibe before Austin Powers. Like, oh, yeah. there's a time where he 
where he sneaks with that guy through the tunnel and then has a like submarine periscope that is like two feet from the butt of these dudes in a secret conference room. Yeah. And then he just stares at like her legs and says, uh, says some super cornball line, you know? Yeah. Like Uh, looks good from this angle or view. Yeah. looks good from this angle. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, is he is do they think he's being like a suave like badass spy or is this meant to be cheesy so because then he also like you said earlier he's not a good spy he rarely like uh he very often just says i'm my name is james bond yeah <laughs> and, you know he shoots from the hip he it's yeah he, it's wild yeah i just i'm questioning like the original intent of the series because i get it i know the formula i do like it i just am like what were they what is what is the intent from the get-go of this thing yeah which which i I guess then goes back to the books maybe i don't know yeah and um i just i i I mean it's impossible for me to just imagine watching this movie for what probably feels like the first time right now like how right. com- like how it comes across like because i just i i just can't disconnect from having seen this you know dozens of times um but i think i think i mean what you said i mean i, I mean you kind of nailed it. like austin powers was clearly making fun of you know the bomb movies that came before it and yeah that's that's part of it um and actually like one of one of the few like kind of negative notes i kind of had or i kind of took away from this watch is is like Bond's one-liners and like his kind of quips are for the most part, they're not even like jokes. They're just him like, like stating like a detail or like saying something that's like, that's not even like, like, what do you, what's even the point of you saying that? Like, it's, it's really, (laughs) it is really strange sometimes. Um, And you know, who, who knows if there was weird editing or like writing stuff. I, I read a bunch of behind the scenes stuff that got into some detail like that, but like, um yeah it, it's really the, the quippy like um uh not any window what's the double entendre kind of bond like this this is you know this is before that right like that was like that that quippiness like evolves into more of what we know even in like honestly in goldfinger with you know him waking up and you know my name was pussy galore and him saying i must be dreaming right like that's that alone is like better than any one liner that's in this movie or, or the, <laughs> the first or Dr. No. So, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting observation. And I think you're, yeah, you're totally right. Um, well, let's, I, it might be interesting to kind of maybe to talk about, you know, some aspects of this is I, I'd be curious to sort of identify or just kind of comment on like some of the, some of those elements of that formula, like what, like what of the bond formula is in here and what works and what isn't in here that like should have been or, like 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 kind of that feel because I you know it's interesting you mentioned the cold open and something I realized watching this too is Bond doesn't even show up in this technically doesn't show up in this movie until like twenty minutes in like there is a lot of exposition for better or worse like just a lot of kind of building that they do at the start of this which is interesting but um, but yeah I, I do remember just as a kid like I remember that opening sequence. Which, you know, that the kind of opening pre-title sequence is, you know, a big, that's a big Bond formula, right? Um, so we're kind of seeing it here, too. But I remember that, like, as a kid being like, oh, he was wearing a mask. Like, oh, you know, like, seeing this first scene, be like, did he just kill James Bond? Like, what is going on? Um, it's really goofy, but it, <laughs> it, it is kind of a fun a fun start. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, you know, even if it's not like bombastic, like the, f- the formula is there with the gun barrel, the opening sequence, like the, op- the kind of cold open titles with ladies and, you know, some sort of artistic stuff and then kind of going on. Like it's, you know, it's very much a Bond movie in, in that, that form. Um, I would have to say, and because I, I, the first time in the movie I really noticed it, uh, so I, I think you did too, watched this in 4K, which I've never seen this in 4K before. Um, I first noticed it in the opening titles, like just how sharp and like pretty damn good looking like the quality of this movie is. For there are a couple of scenes that like when you get to 4K quality, you start to I think sometimes you notice things that like you didn't really notice when it was lower quality there was one shot of um colonel kleb who i get one of her, her first shots it was like i can see like all the layers of makeup caked on you right now like it's just like it was like really <laughs> intense um and there's one shot too where i think it was like slightly out of focus and it was like more obvious than <laughs> than it would have mm. been but um i just have to say i think just overall this movie looked incredible in 4k and it was that the opening title sequence which is pretty simple for what would come later um it's like a projector and totally yeah like a like a uh yeah what are those uh an overhead projector or something totally. just well, displaying I, simple fonts on them yeah i've i have lots of little details i can or like trivia i can throw in here but um the original plan was they were going to put the opening credits over the opening sequence with grant in the maze which would have basically meant that the tradition of having that opening titles would have not happened so but the the guy that did the titles, he got the idea for that when he was like teaching a class. He's like you know, some art guy, and someone walked in front of a projector, and he was like, "Oh, that's an interesting kind of visual thing." So, um, yeah. yeah, they would clearly and and the titles from Maurice Binder is the name of the guy who did like almost all of the Bond titles, but he wasn't doing them yet. So he Goldfinger would be his first one, I'm pretty sure. So, mm. um, but. Uh, yeah, so um, I'm trying to think where to even kind of go from here. I, I just I have I sent you a snap. I and you know me. Usually, more often than not, I don't take notes watching a movie. And when I feel the the urge to, I do it on my phone. For this, I hand wrote notes, which I never do. And I have a lot of them that we can go to, into. But um, so what? I mean, what do you think of Connery as James Bond in this? Like, especially with what you th- what you know of James Bond from you know other movies, like yeah, like what what, what do you think is like? Or I guess, yeah, what's your impression? Like, are there things in it that you see that are like same or different? He has, um, he definitely has the confidence, and you believe in his confidence because when he when he flips from, he, he has the charm, and it's in those those moments where he makes those jokes where he's a little goofy too, but it doesn't he's still like fit enough that he doesn't, he doesn't lose like the edge of like, Oh, this is a like badass secret agent, especially when he turns into serious mode. Cause like he's having fun on that train, you know, like, Oh, Hey, we're going to bang on here a few times. This is going to be kind of fun on the way back from the mission. But then yeah. when things like start to go sour, he snaps into like, you know, interrogation mode and like, Oh yeah, this is actually my job. And he's believable in that. So that kind of worked for me. Um, yeah, he has the charm, the the fight scenes. I thought he held his own in. I don't know how old he is during these films, but um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, for yeah, sure. I thought. I mean, he 
I remember him being one of my favorites, and that kind of held up here. Yeah, and I think again, it's hard because you know this is the second movie. It's it's still pretty grounded, and I think this is you know one of one of the best examples of Bond being competent at his job, all things considered. But I think you know a lot of the Bond character that we see in in all the other movies. And I guess I, I should be able to say this, but as people probably know, like this movie and the Bond series is based on are based on books, right? These are adapted from Ian Fleming novels um, that came out like the previous kind of decade. Um, this, the most of the plot of this movie has nothing to do with the book. And that's the case for most of the movie adaptations. Um, but and so, and I, and I, so say, what do they take? Some of the characters, is it just the title and like a core concept. They just kind of pick and choose from stuff. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and this, but you know, different, writers worked on this but um um but it, well i guess my, my point was i as a big bond fan i a long time ago i read some of the books but i haven't read all of them and it's been a, a long time so i i can't speak super well to like you know the connection to the books but they a lot of times are not very connected but um but as a character bond in this i think what we're already seeing here and, and i think as a character, Bond is the best when they lean into this is that, you know, he is a professional who works for someone, the government, but he works for someone and has a job to do, which happens to be well, whatever M tells him to do. Usually involves killing people or, you know, being, again, that blunt instrument. Um, and as a character, part that, that partially explains, not excuses, but explains some of his other vices of drinking too much, being a womanizer, you know, like, like he kind of driving fast cars, like, like he kind of lives that life because his profession is so kind of messed up and like, just so dark and can kind of weigh on him. Like we don't see that in every Bond movie by any means, but like, that's kind of the, the best, I think the best versions of that. And I think not to a, a big extent at all, but I think we do kind of see that as you described, right? Like Bond is someone who, um, he finds a, random strange well i guess he technically knows who she is but this woman he's never met before all of a sudden in his bed very suspiciously and he's like sure i'll get in like you know just like that's very much his <laughs> that's very much his thing that was actually a comment one of the writers had is like like we we kind of knew that was going to be like a almost a joke that bond's like so eager just like to get in bed but um but he's he first and foremost it's the job right and um and i think we see that if, if we want to you know, talk about this a little bit. And you mentioned misogyny. Um, and certainly, I mean, a c- couple things. Bond as a character is, like, not necessarily a good person. Like, even though he's, like, the hero and, like, the agent that the movies follow, like, he's not someone that I think people should, like, want to be, even though, like, a lot of fictional right. characters that are that have good and bad sides, like, you kind of forget about that sometimes when you like, oh, it would be awesome to be James Bond. Um, and, and, but, you know, we see, I I think in this, it's most plain when he, you know, I know we're jumping around here, but when he, when his friend is killed and he realizes that she's probably, well, he already kind of knew, but like is in on it and and hits her. Right. And it's like, is like really kind of aggressive with her. That's really hard to watch nowadays. And I'm, you know, not that that excuses it just being from 63, but, um, but that's it's hard to watch but that is like kind of what that character is like he when like he like yeah he will hit 
a woman who, um, you know, is, is in the way of what he's trying to accomplish. And yeah, and that, that's a darkness that most of the movies don't touch on partially because the times changed of like, what's even appropriate to like show or pretend, but, um, yeah, that, that's something that really sticks out probably more than most things that are like, yeah, like that's feels true to the character, but also that's something that like would feel weird to like really portray in the same way now, you know? Well, don't, don't some of the movies too, maybe I'm thinking of the Craig ones that dive a little deeper into the psychology, but isn't it, you know, there's the angle, like you said of him kind of living fast and just kind of going with, you know, Hey, yeah, she's in my bed. Let's, let's go for it. But isn't there also kind of like an emptiness to him that also he's, he's almost like a sociopath or they're just disposable. Cause I mean, he gets accused of that by women in lots of movies, right? Like how many women have there been and all that. And he's yeah. like, because if he let all those women that have died affect him, he'd be a, a wreck, I guess. So he kind of was gone down this path where the only way to keep going forward is to remain detached and cold, even though yeah, that's like, like that's, really messed up. Yep, yeah, like he needs to do that to be good at his job. And because of the nature of his job, he doesn't really have anything else but the job. Even right. If he, and, we, and we'll get to other movies later, but like, you know, Casino Royale is the best example of, of that, of how that goes. But... Um, I will say too, not not just the like misogyny, but just the portrayal of the of the female characters too, which yes, everybody knows sure. that about Bond. But like, I mean, you can you you say this in every movie in every movie unless they do a really good job of showing like a passage of time. Characters fall in love immediately in action movies, of course, all the time. The the female lead always falls in love with somebody they've known for like forty eight hours or whatever. Yeah. In this one, though, I know that the the main Tanya isn't a it's more like she works in the whatever the government agency office is it's not like she is a spy herself she's just being asked right. to like do this but like right she goes from like her mission she's been giving a mission by her country to use this guy and she falls in love anyway that that quickly yes. and like every yeah. character and it's just you know that's Again, I know there's only, you know, when there's a lot of characters going on, there's not how many dimensions could you give this character? But that stuff, I think, as we watch these, is going to really, really stick out and be kind of like a sore thumb. Yep. Especially when, you know, in the movie, he opens up, gets the call back to duty, and is with that girl on the side oh, of the and, river. And I should I should point out, that character, um, uh, her name's Sylvia Trench, she is in... Dr. No. So that is actually one of the few examples of a connective... There are a couple mentions of Dr. No in this, but like... Um, so she's actually... The the, the famous opening of... Do, well, one of the first scenes of Dr. No, where he introduces himself and says Bond, James Bond for the first time. She's responding... He's responding to her at like a poker. And she's actually oh. the one to say... She introduces herself as Trench Sylvia Trench first, and he responds in that same cadence. So she kind of like created that, you could argue. Yeah. And she, that okay. actress died recently. Rest in peace. Oh. Grayson, but yeah. So that, so that, th- that was kind of a connection of like his, his London girlfriend is like sort of the idea of who that character was. So I'm glad you mentioned that because the other thing that stuck out, another thing that stuck out to me right away, like you said, you see, you hear, you see and hear from Spectre up front before you even see Bond. And I associate, of course, the big, uh, kind of the biggest factor for me of the Craig movies is that intense serialization 
that is not present in the other bonds. I know yeah. that Spectre and characters like Felix Leiter come in and out and there's some loose connectivity, but I was I did not expect at all them to directly reference like, oh doc you know, they killed our agent Doctor yeah. No and then now now hearing from you this, like that's pretty cool. And that actually yeah. makes me want to go watch Doctor No now. <laughs> and they um yeah, because speaking of Spectre, so in Doctor No, um, towards the end of the movie, Doctor No talks about Spectre. I think I think if I remember correctly, he basically teaches Bond like what Spectre is. But there, but there's no Blofeld, there's no White Cat, there's no Number Two, Number like all that stuff. It's it's just Doctor No at the end, kind of be like, oh yeah, I'm working for this group called Spectre, and he's like, huh. So, so that was oh. also kind of a connected tissue, but not. I but also not very much. speaking of Austin Powers, I had no idea that the number two thing totally. came from this either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the whole yeah, the whole Austin Powers gag with Will Ferrell, like you know, pressing a button and he goes in the ground and burn. Like that's straight out of these older Bond right. movies. Like yeah, like it's, yeah, and I, right when he punched, right when he pressed the button at the end, uh, and that guy came out. That's what I thought of, and then of course, obviously, yep. Mister Bigglesworth and all oh, that. Yeah. Oh, I will yeah. say, I assume once you later see Blofeld, I mean, he's obviously not named as Blofeld here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's a different actor and everything. But at the beginning, having not heard Sean Connery's voice yet, his voice sounded like eerily similar to Sean Connery's. I don't know if you have ever, yeah, I don't I know how, how often yeah. this guy speaks, but it was like kind of strange to the point so, where I thought, are they trying to like, I'm assuming, if this movie came out today, I would be more leery of what they're what they're doing. I didn't think there was any kind of twist or anything fifty years ago, but yeah. it was just kind of interesting. So, 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 so talking about Blofeld and Spectre, which is interesting, especially nowadays, because Spectre was not in the Bond movies for a long time for legal reasons, but just recently returned in the, oh. in the Craig movies. Um, but I was thinking about it. There are only four official. Because okay, I'll just get this out of the way. There's another Bond movie called <laughs> Never Say Never Again which is a Sean Connery movie from the eighties. It's, I mean, it's a bond movie, but it's, it's a, basically a remake of Thunderball. Like they had the way they were able to make that movie separate from the official or like the official series, let's say is because they had the rights to Thunderball, this producer. So it's not really when I'm talking about bond stuff, it's kind of a separate weird thing. Um, But of the like official bond movies, there are only four of them where Bond actually actually there's really only three where Bond is like in the same room with Blofeld like talking to him like that's like not a big common thing in these movies yeah um, but but Spectre kind of is through it but but after after this movie like even with Goldfinger there is very little connective tissue moving forward um, later in the series there's vague they make vague references to something that happens in a movie that we will be watching that I won't say, even though you might already know. But, mm. um, but otherwise, yeah, this is this is kind of the the start and, and the end until the Craig era, basically, of like trying to like connect connect stuff directly. So, um, but more, more trivia. So, so the actor that played, oh, also I was gonna say Blofeld in this series has never been played by the same actor until Christoph Waltz, basically. So, um. But the actor that plays Blofeld behind the chair in this, I don't know if he does the voice, but he is actually, he plays a significant character in Dr. No. And he just, that same actor they had sit in the chair and do that stuff. So the Bond series has a, especially, well, even through the Pierce Brosnan movies, like it has a weird tradition of reusing the same actors in 
completely different roles, even from like one movie to the next in really distracting ways. Like there's, there's a Connery movie where there's a random dude who plays a kind of small character. And then two movies later, he's playing Blofeld. <laughs> like it's really the same actor. It's really with Sean Connery. It's really weird. But anyway, um, so yeah, so we get Spectre, that kind of a good intro of like, yeah, the, the white cat, the him saying evil things. Um, I, I, I love, I love that <laughs> the fish, the fighting fish thing is like, yeah, just such yeah. a like cartoonishly evil kind of thing. But that's what's hard is like, and, and that's the context I keep putting my head in when I rewatch these old movies. Like this movie came out in 1963. Like there's so much that this movie did that at the time was pretty new, like in a way that like, that's what made these movies su- such huge successes is that they were, new and, and doing new exciting th- film things that you weren't seeing very often um but also like going back like yeah seeing that specter like stuff well like stuff we're talking about but like the just the act like that train fight the way they shot action the like oh, sure. the globe trotting the like location work like the budget the you know like that was in the early 60s there weren't many movies doing gotcha doing yeah, yeah stuff on a regular year after year early blockbuster the first three bond movies came out year after year after year like they were churning these things out it's kind of crazy but um uh what was i saying specter oh but yeah but it's hard you know looking back now it's like yeah this this is like cartoonishly evil but you know in 63 this was probably like ooh, this this evil organization that's like you know a thing so that one thing about specter specter is not actually in um no that's not true he mentioned Smirsh in this at one point. Smirsh is like an evil organization from the books that is never really in the movies. That's kind of Spectre they use, but anyway. Um, so what did you, speaking oh, of, interesting. of Spectre, what did you think of um, of Grant, of played by Richard Shaw? Uh, what, what, what were your impressions? The, of uh, the guy kind of hunting him. Yeah, the, the Spectre yeah, assassin. Yeah, I thought he seemed cool and, uh, you know, they did a good job of not, I, I liked that he was cold and silent and they didn't have some like weird feat of like strength or bravado to show how cool he was. You just like the way people treated him and kind of like. <laughs> Except for Kleb, him. Kleb punching him as hard as she can right in the, in the chest with brass knuckles. And then she says, he seems fit enough. <laughs> like, are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, so <laughs> I, that. I thought this movie was going to be way more over the top based on that because I I started taking notes on my phone. The only note I took was that and I went, oh my gosh, this is going to be a long list. And I, yeah, that was like crazy. But yeah, the way they like have this compound and he's just out there on this nice lawn. Spectre Island. Getting getting a massage, you know. And um, Excuse me. Yeah, I thought he was cool and he was like very efficient and it was nice that, um, so like you said, Bond isn't, he gets beat up a lot in these films and uh, is not perfect by any means. So to see him get like his life, his life saved by this guy. And then uh, it really made Grant, but also Spectre seem like, oh, wow, these guys are manipulating. They're successfully like doing this whole thing, which is, it was kind of ambitious for, thankfully, the plot once you get that intro out of the way is really focused on bond and his mission, but there could have been a lot more moving pieces and things going on with all the different factions involved. Um, but yeah, I thought he was good. And then not only was he kind of this, like 
efficient assassin, but then at the end when he switches gears to be kind of the spy impersonator and has a more active role, he shined there too. So yeah, I, yeah, was, I, I, I thought he was really cool. Yeah, I love how he just is silently like stalking, you know, for like two thirds of the movie, like just sort of in the background, and yeah. Um, honestly, yeah, the, the the train shots with him are really cool. Where like they, it seems like it's a wide shot to showing the train, and then they zoom in at the time as he's like shutting the window. Oh yeah, too. Yeah. And then of course that tracking shot that you mentioned to me, I think earlier today, where you're watching Bond and he's oh, yeah. as as Bond looks, he's like in between windows, so you can't see him, and then his reflection that was really well done. Yeah. So more trivia for for a long time the script had him at the start like we see and then we don't see him at all until he's back on the train with none of that like stuff in the middle which they made a good decision I think <laughs> having him be more of a presence but I'll just say real quick back to Specter Island <laughs> that that actually might be when you think about stuff that's like parodied by like Austin Powers and and in my mind I'm thinking about Wayne's World the like Specter Island with like people shooting like flamethrowers and stuff and well, all within like 10 feet of each other yes, it's like yes. thing to thing to thing the station yeah. to station and then i i love the point i love at the end uh <laughs> i don't remember what i think club says something and the guy's like um like oh we use live targets too you know like just like this casually evil like terrible evil thing to say like i, I love that but, but yeah that's that that scene in wayne's world where he like opens the door to like that basic like training camp and he's like always wanted to do that in a movie like very meta kind of thing like that's a, a very clear reference to this, um, yeah. But uh, oh, I also work. I just want to say I also loved the first scene after the credits, the chess, the chess match. That set, I love that set. Was super cool looking. Um, yeah, and, and I like how like that's kind of the first Spectre thing in this is like this amazing chess player gets a secret note that they need him, and so he like loses the match on purpose. Like that's how it- how powerful and how important you know this is like it's a interesting kind of way to start wait i thought he won it i thought he won it immediately oh he did you're right you're right yeah yeah like he like was kind of like playing with him that's right playing with him and then in one move he's just like yeah checkmate (laughs) yeah yep um yeah i will say also just real quick one of my favorite things about the bond series is um in the early movies was ken adam was the name of the set designer who did uh most of the movies and he's like incredible stuff he also did um dr strangelove and i think some kubrick stuff but he uh he did not do this one so this is actually not the usual like set or like production designer um but i think that one set so, was especially interesting this is a good a time as any then for me to mention this the one part that maybe i don't know if i would say didn't work but seemed the most like what is the purpose of this and maybe from a production standpoint design standpoint didn't look as good mm-hmm. is the whole gypsy scene it's like well, why did they go to why did they go here what was the purpose of this oh yeah. and then in that in that is one i know all movies have this but there was um i always think about is it quantum of solace where there's the guy sweeping and he's like yes two feet in the air yeah so this has a scene where um bond uh i think it's right when that like that tent falls down behind him and there's a guy just just in the background of him that gets like lit on fire and and is like spinning around and sh- and gets shot and you know the actor just kind of like goes whoa does like a 180 really dramatically and falls down. Well, they a couple like a minute later they use that same 
like footage from a. Di- they just shot it again and used oh, that same like that same action. Yeah, yeah, from a different angle. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just the product. You know, you can just see the studio lights. You can just see the lights. You know, well, and I don't know. So, so I, I have a little info for you on that. Um, but first, yes. I, I will say, watching it, I that scene, um, that the whole gypsy, which the word gypsy to me is like. Like, is this racist? Like, is that a proper term? Like, I don't know if that's like an outdated racist term for that population right. that, in, in Turkey or not. I'm not going to that. also made me feel weird. And it's like, well, if this is a real tradition, that's one thing. But otherwise, it just seems like they're acting like they're a bunch of savages. And it's like, they will now kill each other because they love the same man yeah, and stuff. And, yeah, I'm not. And, and again, and I, it's don't, like, I don't. You can do with them as you wish, Mr. Bond. And I'm like, wait, did he seriously just bang both of them? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, yeah, much more of that casual kind of mis- or just uh, perhaps I guess misogyny might be the right word but like that just women are kind of not super valuable yeah i know i know we previously this. each loved a man so much we were willing to kill the other one for it but now that yes. we see you here <laughs> yeah yeah so we're and that's a good that's another yeah that's that part of that bond thing that we're already seeing is like women are inexplicably attracted to him all the time like there's like why anyway against their own better judgment yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but watching that scene especially the fight scene i was like this feels like it's on par with like like a stunt spectacular you would see at like an amusement park like it's kind yes. of that same thing like that was the vibe it's chaos but like in a yeah an amusement like, park look at this, way like, like it's this, like one stunt do this like one like not that dangerous or interesting stunt but like oh he did something that oh this person did something and it, but it feels and then very, these guys like, fall off the and, tower like, and yeah so but again, I have lots of behind the scenes little trivia I can drop. But yes, so yes. originally they were planning on f- on filming that scene in Turkey um, at an actual gypsy camp, is what the book called it. Um, but when they were getting permission to film in Turkey, they told them that they couldn't film in any gypsy camps in Turkey. And I guess they they told them that like kind of short notice. So very quickly they had to build that set. Um, in England, like the back lot at Pinewood Studios, in like seven days. So that's probably explains why at least it looks. It, it might have looked at least a little bit better if it was uh, the original plan. But this movie, by the way, again, I have lots of stuff. But like, want to talk about like cursed movies and productions? Like this, a lot of bad stuff went <laughs> went on in like with this movie behind the scenes. I'll, I'll maybe at the end I can run through just some trivia bits, but. It's pretty. Well, yeah, that's. I, I will say that's that's interesting to hear because I that's really my only in terms of kind of a piece of the film that was just kind of like, yeah, what was the purpose of this? That's a little, a little subpar compared to the rest. And it's early on too. So it kind of, the story picks up after that and you kind of forget about it. So, but I think, fine. But I think that that is a decent example of what bond, a part of what has set bond apart, especially early on and made it stand out is that they really went out of their way with bond movies to try and show exotic things, you know, think or things that, you know, British audiences or Western audiences are considering exotic, right? So I think, so that's a pretty good example of like, oh yeah, let's like show this again, authentic or not, probably not, but like, like let's try to show this like interesting new environment, even if it like doesn't actually serve the story like super well or, you know, it's just an excuse to have two women fight each other and Bond sleep with them, you know, like, but that's, that is, that's kind yeah. of what Bond movies do is like they, they try to show those, those interesting things. Um, Okay, I guess now would be a great time for me to talk about um, someone I very much like, who is his his contact in Istanbul, Karim Bey. I'm a big fan of Karim Bey because he 
just seems to like be this spy dude in Istanbul who just kind of like has a bunch of kids and like kind of hangs out in his like space and doesn't actually like do any spy stuff because like they're they have this like cold war peace with the russians and so he just kind of hangs out and i just i love there are a couple just small moments with him that he's i got just, his routine yeah i love when he uh when his place is bombed like the the woman he's with is like begging him to come he's like the opposite of james bond right she's begging him to come like have sex with her basically and he's like He's like, he says something like off to the salt mines again or something. Like, oh, I guess I have to do this again. It's like so just silly and like it just adds this like just layer of character to him that I, I really admi- appreciate. And then my other favorite moment with him is um, his last moment before he's killed when he's he sits down with that guy that they tie up and he's going to like keep him company on the train. Um, and the guy is like gagged and can't say anything. But he sits down and he's like, he's like, I've had a very interesting life. You know, would you like to hear about it? And then he's like, Ooh. he's like, oh, you would. <laughs> and then like, you know, I just imagine him like spending two hours talking about random stuff until Grant shows up and kills him. But um, yeah, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Karen uh, Bay because they're, that's kind of a Bond trope is like the Bond ally. Like most movies, Bond has some sort of ally in the field, whether it's Felix Leiter or some other just random contact like this. And he's, he's probably yeah. up there for me in terms of, of all time Bond allies, just for some of those, some of those things. Cool, yeah. I, I really liked his character, too, and that's what kind of made... At least spending more time with him in that gypsy scene was kind of a silver lining yeah, yeah. for that, that part of it. Um, and I will just real quick... I'll get this out of the way because it's actually really sad, but it's, I think, pretty interesting uh, trivia, I guess. So, the actor that played him, Pedro... I can't pronounce his last name properly, um, but he, he was a, a very famous Mexican actor. Again, it's like a Mexican playing a Turk? Okay. Um, but um, while filming this movie, um, he he got sick. And he, during filming, he was diagnosed with cancer, with very severe cancer. Um, and But he was very determined to finish the movie. And by the end of filming, like one of the last things they shot was the stuff at the gypsy camp. In, in this book, the people who worked on it said that he was so ill, they had to like stage crew like had to like push him up to like like get like stand up properly and like physically like help him do stuff like that's how sick he was oh my gosh um but he finished the movie um and then and this is again this is really sad but um he so he finished the movie and then he died eight days later um in california but he died uh he took his own life because he just was so sick and and didn't want (laughs) to deal with it i guess oh my in this gosh. book they say that he was friends with ernest hemingway of all people and i guess i don't know much about ernest hemingway but i guess ernest hemingway kind of died the same way like he shot himself to just end it so he kind of did the same route so really sad i don't mean to be a downer we can move on but like but i think i think that that extra layer like also adds a little a, a bit of affection just to him and like this being his like you know last performance while he's sick and stuff and yeah but I, I'm a big, when I'm a big playing such a, yeah, like the personality of that character too, having to, having to kind of well, muster and, the gusto to, to play it that way. Yeah. And, and the, the gypsy camp, and I think the, the stuff inside the train was like some of the last stuff they shot. So that's when he was like the most sick, you know, filming, oh, he, so. he turned it on. You can't, his performance yeah. doesn't suffer at all. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I think, were there any other characters worth talking about? I mean, we, we've mentioned Tanya. She's, again, not much of a character. Not really a character. Except for just what, <laughs> yeah. how it serves the plot. Um, it really is how it kickstarts the plot. Like, she doesn't actually, once it's going, she's kind of, I guess she, you know, she helps connect him and get it. And obviously at the end she shoots Kleb. Well, let's talk about, what do you think of Kleb? Oh, actually, I have, I have a couple comments about Kleb, but um, what do you think of Rosa, Colonel Rosa Kleb? I just love Kleb as such a good name for, like, a Russian bad person. She, yeah, she, she was interesting. It was more, uh, I thought it was funny that, like, you know, she's supposed to be this kind of higher-ranking Russian person that it's so embarrassing that she defected that they wouldn't, the Russians wouldn't even admit it. That's why she can get away with kind of tricking t- Tanya into doing that. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, it's kind of a, a counterpoint to how I said Grant made Spectre seem like a legitimate threat. Well, then her plan gets foiled of using this one Tanya person uh, to, to get the device. The What's that thing called? The coding device. Electric. So then her backup yeah. is like, I'll appear as a maid in the hotel. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. then that reminded me of... Um, uh, in Austin Powers, when uh, oh, not uh, odd job, what do they call it? When random task random, shows up yep. in the hotel, that is a hundred percent. So I was like, man, reference that's, to this. It's just yeah. all these references. I yep, yep. I, I totally never caught. That, yeah, um, yeah. Because that, but that's, also, isn't that? Uh, sorry, am I? Maybe it's just because of my familiarity familiarity with this from uh, Austin Powers that I'm I'm saying this. But is that kind of a Bond thing too? To have like. Okay, yes. it's done, I, I, but it's not really done. That's There's what, what right? I was going to say. Is like okay. th- that's that's kind of a Bond trope. Is I feel like in maybe half, if not more, of the movies, like that some sort of henchman type character is still out there at the end that he has to deal with in some way after the main. I like know, that. Baddie. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of fun. Um, so, so one thing I'll say about her, and actually, I, I meant to bring this up earlier. Um, Preferably, so she her. it's it's I think fairly subtle, but she is supposed to be like. I guess a lesbian basically. And that's why she, there's like those weird moments where she's kind of like, well, so there's a moment on Spectre Island when he, she's touched by, I forgot his name, the guy. And she kind of like, oh, flinches. Yeah. but then she's like, you know, touching Tanya in kind of a creepy way. Um, but again, it's not, it's not explicit. I guess in the book, it was much more explicit that she like was kind of into Tanya and a lot, but the, the problem is Ian Fleming, not a good person. Notoriously anti... I think specifically lesbian. He, like, basically hated lesbians. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, so, so there's there's some... Again, I haven't actually read the book, but... In, in, in the scheme of the movie, it's not super there, but... Um, but that is a weird, like, character thing that they still sort of include in the movie, even though it doesn't actually really serve any purpose, and... It just kind of plays into like the evil lesbian, like evil gay person kind of thing. That's kind of kind of weird. They they should have just not even hinted at it in the movie. I don't think I don't know why they did, but um, yeah. But Cleb, I mean, she's kind of whatever. That's just the character. Be I do. I think she's iconic for. I guess the end with the the boot with the the uh, the. Um, oh yeah, it is funny when she's just like sitting there again, just this like high ranking Russian person just in a maid outfit. Yeah. frantically just kicking with it one foot really over, silly. Over. yeah that that whole I, I guess that whole sequence in terms of like excitement like doesn't really hold up uh certainly but um yeah but i will say so um so that that ending is actually from the book 
in, in some way. Well, actually pretty much in that way. But um, in the book, Bond is actually cut by the, the poison blade. And that's how the book ends. So the book ends on a cliffhanger. But they clearly, oh, that's cool. They clearly didn't do that here, um, which is probably for the best. But um, Yeah, I guess those are kind of the main main characters. Um, In terms of the, uh, the Bond formula, though, yeah. going back to like... Because to me, the elements we haven't talked about are the car and the gadgets. And the car is pretty much non-existent in this right. and so, yeah, that Gold, element. Goldfinger, the next one, would be the first appearance of the Aston Martin, which has you know, obviously become yeah. kind of the, the... I think it's the Bentley on this, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, but you're right. Like that, that's, those are things that weren't really there yet. Um, but, well, actually, yes. Let's definitely that, talk about gadgets because that, the brief, that fancy briefcase is basically the first kind of gadget. Yeah, and I just meant they don't have like a bunch of gadgets and they're oh, right, not like over right. the top. Like it was pretty functional. It had a cool, you always know in Bond, any gadget he gives you, it will be used and it will be used. When is the moment it will be used? Exactly. You know? Yes. And, and in this one, it was great because you forget about it for a while. And then I was like, oh man, they just showed how they just spent the movie showing you how competent Grant is. And he has him and he's doing the other Bond thing of telling him all about the, the yes. evil plan. Yes. Yep. And then, and then, yeah. And then, oh, would you like some gold? And then he's like, oh, well, at the end of the day, the specter is probably just hiring people, stealing people away for money. Sure. So yeah. how would you like some more money? Right. Well, I can't be, bu- well, how much are we talking here? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, that's kind of the first hint of that stuff where, like you said, it's, it always magically fits into the the puzzle of the plot in just the perfect way, of course. And, and that's when Bond does come through as a, he always gets out of the situations by being, even if he wasn't the best spy before, he's always the best spy in that moment, do or die, where he can, yeah. his kind of, again, that, I come back to sociopath where he just knows how to manipulate people and use people for whatever purpose, where he yeah. knows if I make this claim with the one suitcase He'll let me open it, but then if I'm too eager for the next one, he'll he'll stop me so that he opens it, and that's yep. when I've tricked. Like, so um, I, there's something else I want to come back to that we can't. But but since we're on the subject, um, first I my favorite scene in the whole movie, and and one of one of the best scenes I think in all of Bond is is the train fight and like the whole the whole train basically everything on the train with Grant I very much enjoy. Um, yes, but but I, something I noticed I don't remember noticing before on this watch is what you're describing when Bond is kind of on his knees, you know, with Grant having kind of the upper hand. I, and I think it's a credit to Connery's performance. Like there's, there's are just flashes in that moment of, of Bond being kind of desperate. And like, like you kind of see him thinking like, okay, how can I, like, what can I do to get out of this right now? Um, that I think even in future movies, you don't really see that very often in Bond. You know, usually he's a pretty cool character, even if <laughs> whatever ridiculous, situation he's in uh, but i thought that was like just an interesting yeah. kind of thing that that you don't see a lot but yeah the train Definitely. fight just and i think that's an example of a tr- like that train fight the way it's shot the way it was you know cut like like the way that action was edited in the early 60s or you know pre this kind of era was very different and like bond peter hunt the director or the editor of all these early bond movies like he's kind of credited with like helping like innovate how to edit action. Um, and I think the train fight is a pretty good example of that. Um, but it's also like, again, for 63, like 
kind of brutal, especially the last shot of him like choking out Grant and the way he kind of, you know, kind of goes limp and like like that's that was for again that era like pretty intense. Um, yeah. So I think I think those are examples again of, of just if someone's looking for an explanation of like why did the Bond series become such a huge deal? Because it, it's obviously still a big deal, but like in the '60s, like this Connery era of Bond, like it's hard to overstate how big these movies were. How, like it was a true phenomenon. Um, and, yeah, and it had and like a two, I read it had like a two million dollar budget and just made buku yeah oh, buku bucks. Yeah, I mean if, if when you start factoring in inflation, the the highest grossing Bond movie is Thunderball, and it like the fourth one, um, and it's I mean it's it's up there like at all time. Like it's, you know, it's, it's huge. Um, like, you know, well over a billion dollars. I do remember money. that one. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Thunderball. Yeah. That's actually my like awesome as a kid. Like it's, uh, that might be my least favorite Bond movie. <laughs> really? Oh, as a kid, I remember, yeah. I remember being, I remember loving all the, the underwater stuff and the sharks. Oh, I, that would, we're not going to do it on this podcast, but that would be one for you to revisit. I'd be curious that underwater oh, stuff is man. just slow and boring right now nowadays. To oh, me. is it? There, there, oh, there's man. still some good stuff in that movie, but yeah, the underwater stuff is like okay. Um, so why was it the highest grossing one? Just because I think it'd been there'd been I, so many Conneries, the hype just kept getting bigger. I think it's less a testament. I mean, not to downplay people liking Thunderball, but I think it's less a testament to Thunderball and more a testament to Goldfinger, the one before it was such a like such a you know, that formula, right? It kind of hit that sweet spot for better, you know, quality overall that movie or not. Like it, it was the one that all of a sudden was like, Oh, you're like doing like, you have a, like a Aston Martin with gadgets in it. Like that was, you know, such a cool thing at the time, you know, like, I, I think it's that, that energy. Plus I, I guess Goldfinger to Thunderball would have been the first time that there was more of a two year gap. So there's probably a longer suspense okay. of, you know, waiting for Bond to come back kind of thing. But, um, <laughs> Actually, I think I think that was around the same time that Kennedy. When was Kennedy president? At some point, when Kennedy was president, he he said that you know he was that for much of a love. I believe the actual book. He's like, yeah, this is one of my favorite books right now. And like that was kind of a big deal that he like the president was a Bond fan. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I love. I mean, the, I love yeah, the train I think fight. I think JFK would have died right after this. 64 63 63 i think yeah so yeah so it was probably in like kind of yeah around the same time but anyway um i love the train fight also train fights are like kind of have become a bond thing there are at least four bond movies that have an interior like melee train fight specter has one right including specter which is the best part of specter um and actually, all four of the train fights that I, as far as I can remember, are actually all pretty good, I think. So, I don't, there's something about train fights that <laughs> Bond movies are decent at. But, um, yeah, but I love the train fight. And I think, I mean, I think other examples, though, of, like, stuff that the time was pretty rare to see. Like, having what I think is, at times, a pretty coolly, or pretty um, well-shot sequence is that the helicopter kind of chase. Like, helicopters in 63, I don't think were very common. So, like, that... You know, that was kind of a new, newer technology kind of thing that that you were seeing in a movie. Um, but there are some cool shots of that helicopter, like, is low. And, like, really, I'm sure there's some trickery there, but, like, looks very close to Connery slash the stuntman um, that 
Yeah, there's one where it's like it looks like he actually dodged the yeah. helicopter. There is a and go ahead. I was gonna say I agree with what you're saying that like oh man this is like it's not some cheesy like editing like it does they're flying that thing around it's getting kind of close there's some good cuts and then he dodges it again and then he dodges yeah, it again yeah. when he's out of the car running around that that they show him that thing turning around and flying at him and him dodging like. Way more times than they need to. Yeah, yeah. But again, that, I, that's. I think that's. A, it was the thing. Is like, look at this helicopter do stuff. Like that was, that was enough, right? Like that was exciting. And keep cool. going. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Were there any other like scenes or like sequences that like really stood out to you? Um, man, you put me on the spot here. I would say. I, I mean, I have a bunch of like random spawn notes. Here, let me let me look through and see what what I should pull out here. Worth talking about. Oh, well, let's go back to what I wanted to talk about. Speaking about gadgets, so we get our first appearance of Desmond Llewellyn as well. What we know as Q in this movie, he's only credited as Boothroyd, which is his technically his last name, I guess, Major Boothroyd. Um, and if you look at the credits, Desmond Llewellyn is the third from the last in terms of people credit in this movie yet he would go on to become like a cornerstone of the franchise and in almost every bond movie until 1999 like the world's not enough like like it's ridiculous that it came from this tiny little scene where there's like zero humor it's very straightforward but then in goldfinger all of a sudden they kind of i guess realized that that could be a more comic relief type interesting relationship and then it just you know blew up from there it blew up from there. Yeah, like a because most of his devices like blow a up. Q gadget, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I, I know that that actor. I didn't know he was in as many as he is, but I, I know that he was in it till he's older, and that did it for a long time. Yeah. So seeing right when I saw him, I go, "Oh my gosh, that's the younger version of this guy." So does that mean? And then I quickly realized, like, oh, if I remember seeing him in the Brosnan movies, he was Q this entire time. And I just blew my mind. Yeah. I had no idea that it's his, his run started that early. Yeah. There's one, maybe two movies after this that he's not in where they, for some reason didn't, otherwise he's in all of them. Yeah. Oh, so there, there are a couple movies. There's there's at least one. I can't remember which one. It might be live and let die. There's at least one that they, I think we're like, still like maybe we're going to reboot this and not have Q in it. But then, he came back. You know, oh, that's that's still what over fifteen movies in thirty five oh, totally. years. That's yeah. wild. Well, and and the other wild thing again, a little behind the scenes is so in Doctor No, there's an early scene in M's office where Boothroyd, I think they might or no in this they call him Quartermaster maybe, but based, the same gen- type of character Boothroyd, he he is in Doctor No, talks to Bond, gives Bond a different pistol, um, not the same actor, not does not Desmond Llewellyn, um, and again very just kind of straightforward kind of character um the only reason Desmond Wellen is in this movie is because that actor was not available so again like just you know th- it's easy but like one of those sort of thing like those fate kind of things of like yeah can you, you know what if what if he had never been in it like would Q have even become a thing like you know, who knows but it's, yeah it's pretty interesting um yeah was there, was there anything else that kind of grabbed your attention not that I can think of right now. You've mentioned, uh, you know, you, you've you've touched upon all the stuff I kind of wanted to talk oh, about. So, I, I mean, if you want, I can just kind of hit on a few small things that um, stood out to me. 
But yes, please. I just have to say, I speaking of Bond, one of my other favorite Bond tropes that's less considered is um, it's always entertaining to see him check into a hotel. There's something about Bond like checking into hotels that's just very satisfying. And this this one is a good one where he's you know going in and doing like looking for bu- searching for bugs and you know all that kind of stuff. And, um, and of course, that's when we haven't really talked about the music, but during that sequence, like the Bond theme is just blasting full bore as like 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 him searching his hotel room is like the most exciting thing that's happening in the movie which i just it's pretty silly but i also just really appreciate that well and it also you know in almost every movie not every movie but he, he's constantly walking into traps and always his people are aware of his presence <laughs> that's particularly true it's like a main plot element in this one is that there's per, they're uh per, especially trying to get him specifically yep. that's what i was looking for him specifically into this place so I love that with no hesitation or you don't even see a puzzling look on his face because he just doesn't care when they're like, oh, I'm sorry. The only room available is the the bridal suite or whatever. And he's like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it just has zero. Like. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Let's see what it looks like. But you're right. Like Bond, you know, that's part of why I say that he's not a good spy. It's, it's partially because he likes to just introduce himself and like get friendly with the villains. But he also in most movies, Bond is rarely like ahead of other people. Like he's usually like kind of trailing the bad guys or the plan and trying to figure out that right at the end happens to be able to stop it. But like, he's usually like kind of a, well, it's almost, it's almost meta in a way that like any spy in reality is, you will never know they exist, but because he's doing such like, well, that's one thing I liked about this movie is the lower stakes, but in most movies, he's like saving the world or some crazy thing. Yeah. And if you do that, whether the public knows about it within those circles, you're going to become like well-known. So it's like, oh yeah, people know. How would this specter know about James Bond, the guy from MI6? Like only because he did all these crazy things of saving the world time and time again or yeah. whatever. Like, of yeah. course, he should not be allowed to be a spy anymore yeah. <laughs> because of saving the world. Yeah, but he, but. he gets it done. Um, yep. One thing I, I noticed a lot this time, um, and I saw it behind the scenes that in this book, they talked about it too. I'm referencing, I have this giant coffee table book called the James Bond Archives that is really cool. It has a lot of behind the scenes stuff. So when I when I mentioned a book, that's what I'm referring to. But um, Nice. So they obviously filmed in Istanbul a lot. And anytime they were on the street, you could see crowds just in the background just watching the filming. Like it, it, Like I saw it once and then every single time it happened after that. But they said that for some of those shots, they had like a crowd of like thousands of people just gathering to like watch this. Um, and I guess for, for one of the sequences where they had to, you know, try to make it look somewhat real, they like, they the director did a diversion where they had like Bond's or like Connery's stuntman like do something up in a window somewhere so they would look up at the window. And then meanwhile, they filmed Connery. Like, I think it was when they were like running to the train to like on the train, like, do the train thing like they had to like do crowd management it's kind of interesting yeah so i know we already talked about it. my note here is literally i say gypsies probably racist but not sure so <laughs> I, I should probably educate myself on on that before i just talk about it but but yeah that was that was the kind of feeling you know you got watching that oh here's mm-hmm. a really dumb thing that i think sticks out quite a bit i don't know what you thought so after the gypsy camp, they go and kill that Russian guy. Um, they snipe him. Yeah, yeah. They snipe him out of that, like, billboard. Yes. 
this like what is this billboard for this like bob hope movie call from bot whatever the you know whatever it's called well the it's very meta actually so that movie uh was produced by the bond producers in between dr no and for much with love um and i guess at the it was thought to be like it was going to be a huge movie because it's Bob Hope and Anita Ekberg. And it also apparently is the first movie that has any kind of appearance by the Beatles in it. Um, but I guess apparently it was, it was super not successful <laughs> when it came out. Um, so that, so the, yeah, that that's all. I remember even as a kid being like, what is this weird, like real life movie poster doing in this? Like Bond movies don't, reference real life or like real movie like it's just it's such a weird thing that still sticks out even even when you know what the like kind of inside joke is but it's, it's a strange to, strange to me i don't i remember it being a, a movie poster or some kind of billboard but i didn't not knowing it was real it was more just like in a movie that's otherwise more grounded it was just so goofy seeing somebody escape through like a hole in the billboard and it her out of her claw crawling out of her mouth or whatever right I guess I guess it would nowadays it would be even more weird if that movie was actually like famous and successful. <laughs> so they would be like, yeah, you know, yeah. I was like, what is this well-known movie poster doing in this Bond movie? But, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of hit on a lot of the big highlights. Oh, I I want to say also the um, speak of the credits. I mentioned Desmond Llewellyn. I love in the credits um, they list uh, Blofeld, but they the actor playing him is a question mark in the credits. Like they're trying to keep it mysterious, which is pretty, that's pretty like cool. But it says blow. It says Blofeld. Yeah. yeah. It says Ernst. I think it says Ernst Blofeld. And it just says question mark. <laughs> Who's playing him. Interesting. Yeah. And it yeah. had the, um, it had the James Bond will return thing, right? Yeah. Which is, I mean, so that's another, again, that's another, um, standard bond thing that for a long time, they, they would actually say what the next movie was going to be. You know, basically as they were still working through the existing books. Um, yeah. So, so did they do that in Dr. No, or was this the first time? Oh, I don't actually remember. So this might, have, known this about might the have been the first then, time. Probably. Yeah. This might've been the first time. Um, though they were already, I think they were already producing this movie when Dr. No actually came out. Like that's how I mean, quickly these came out. Oh yeah. Out, they probably so, would have had to have yeah. been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that they did that all the way through, Connery like basically or through more like until they ran out of Connery they would end it by saying James I will return in and one time they they switched the title after the last one came out so it ended up being false um, so what was the false title it was um, after the spy who loved me they said they were going to make for your eyes only but because of Star Wars and like science fiction all of a sudden being a big thing in, in 70 late 70s they switched and made moonraker next because it has space stuff i've never seen that one but then they made for your but then they made yeah, they, i mean they did eventually but yeah, they just they, the order, it, yeah. they, they okay. got ahead of themselves i but, see i see um well i the only other thing i really have to mention i have a couple other just really small trivia bits that i think would be fun to share but otherwise that's kind of my feelings of on you want to hear yeah couple, you should you should you should share those i, I will say this bits. is unleashing unleashing you on the podcast is everything i thought it would be and more so please well, good i hope, that, please I hope end your good. wonderful debut with the bond world with these facts well great i will um <laughs> actually a lot of these i've already kind of touched on um 
Oh, this is this is great. So, um, the opening with the mask, you know, when when they yep. kill Bond and um, the after they originally shot the 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 mask reveal, they realized that the guy who was playing who was under the mask looked too much like Connery to the point that audiences were like wait is that bond or what's going on so they actually had they actually reshot <laughs> that that shot with a different actor with the mask on just to make it more obvious that it was not actually Sean Connery in there which is wow just a weird weird thing um well, how did, and it's like yeah how did you not know that until <laughs> yeah i will say i i know the plan was silly but i i do like that scene in the mosque when um it's there's like no music it's like that kind of just atmosphere you know sound and and there's like cool wide shots of you know people manu- the different people maneuvering in there um but i don't know if you remember there's a, a tour guide or like a tour that's going through the mosque during that oh that's what that is when they're trying to do the dead drop yeah and yeah. okay i couldn't yeah. remember what was what, I th- I what the location f- was i think it's a famous mosque i don't remember the name but um okay anyway, I thought that that was actually a real tour going through when they filmed it they just like like oh, we're gonna film it but we're gonna just take this the natural sound that we're getting and i think it, i think it works i think it adds to the, the movie yeah, that, that's very cool. Um, yeah, so actually, I think the only other stuff I'll share real quick is, again, some of those cursed things with this movie. Um, there are two big things. I, I don't think either of these I'd actually heard about before. Um, so later in... I mean, there was lots of stuff behind the scenes about, like, they they tried to film the boat sequence, which we didn't really talk about. It's, I don't know if there's much to say about it, but like they tried to film that in turkey like multiple days what's the boat sequence when they're escaping on the boat they're getting chased by specter people on the boat oh right right yeah. and like he right, blows right, up right the right bar- the yeah. End, yeah um there's had all sorts of problems with like boats and stuff and and so they eventually had to film it in Ireland, scotland and they still had problems it was, just, it was just crazy like man making a movie sounds rough but two big things uh near the end of filming um the actress that plays um Daniela Bian- I don't know how to her last name, who plays um, uh, Tanya. Um, yeah. She was in a, a car accident. I guess she wasn't seriously injured, but it was like a rolling over car accident. Um, and, oh, and my. To the point that her like face was bruised. And, and so that like, kind of messed up filming towards the end of the movie. Um, what seems much more scary to me is there was, again, kind of later in production, um, the director and an assistant art director um, were getting in a helicopter to go scout some location for shooting later that day um i think they were like they were on the water somewhere like on the shore and like soon after takeoff the helicopter crashed into the water and went like 40 feet into the water the people in the helicopter were stuck in the helicopter underwater and people like dove in to like go down and like they could see them in this like you know, cockpit with still a little bit of air, but like running out and like they had like escape like you would in a movie, right? Like that type of thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and the director, I guess he, he injured, he had a minor injury at the end of the day and, but you know, went back to work and making the movie, but like, that's crazy. Like, I, oh my, that, that is yeah. so terrifying. Um, and then at the end of the day, the movie, um, was 40 days over schedule, which I don't know what the actual shoot, shooting schedule was, but that sounds like a lot back then, probably six weeks. <laughs> um, and they finished filming the movie on September 2nd and then it premiered October 10th. 
So a little bit, a little over a month, which again, I think back then that's probably slightly less crazy than it sounds now, but still pretty crazy that that was how quickly they were turning this thing around. So I just think that gave me some perspective where I think especially with No Time to Die, right? There was all of a sudden like, oh, this movie's cursed because like, you know, Craig got injured and this is happening and blah, 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 blah. It's like, I think a lot of movies you could say are cursed because making movies is hard and like all this crazy stuff happens that a lot of times you don't know about unless you dig for the information. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it was pretty remarkable that that all happened and they're trying to make this. Um, well, and, and just for how it didn't affect the final product, it's, you know, other than that, like I said, I kind of noticed that gypsy sequence. Yeah. The, the set design and the quality there suffered a little bit, but pretty good movie overall. And I'll, I'll say uh, my, you know, at first I was kind of struggling to not score it in my head, but, you know, how much of it is I want to like it because it's Bond versus it being really old. And I think talking through it like this um, has made me enjoy, you know, in retrospect, mm. enjoy it even more. And I'm looking forward to I don't know, probably watching more of these on my own. Yeah. But what I'm looking forward to most is now hearing what the next movie is. Or do we know what it is because it's George We, we do. <laughs> By process of okay. elimination. It okay. is, uh, I couldn't remember when he came in. On, yeah, on, <laughs> her, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which... Oh, yeah, of course he's next. Yeah, duh. Yeah, which, for, for the most part, is probably on the same... Compared to other Bond movies, it's on the same wavelength of this movie in terms of being more grounded and less, like silly over the top not there's certainly some silly stuff in it but it's much more grounded um but yeah so that's the next one that came out in 69 i'm pretty sure george lazenby and um dame diana rigg who is known from other stuff including game of thrones most recently yeah did she win an emmy for her game of thrones or at least was nominated anyway um, i'm not sure that's cool she is what some would say the best bond girl which again in terms of giving those characters agency there's not a lot of good examples there, but with that very low bar, I'd say she probably probably jumps over it. Um, but yeah, so th- yeah, that'll be that'll be the next one, and and that that's a movie that uh, George Lazenby gets kind of a bad rap. And obviously, we'll talk more about this when we get to the movie. But a lot of people also really do like that movie, and I think it's it's has gained the appreciation of that movie has increased over the years um, from the kind of almost like punchline it sometimes has been, I think just because he only did one movie, which was his choice. But anyway, interesting. Well, yeah, we'll I've never, I, I, yeah, I know I haven't seen that one, so I'm interested in watching it. And also kind of like you hinted at there, hearing more about this in the legacy of bond, this one random off one off movie with the, you know, the only guy to just do one and then get yeah. out. And I will say, um, we didn't talk about the music again done by John Barry, who did a lot of Bond movie music. I don't think the music in this movie was that spectacular. There's kind of three main themes that he just kind of uses a bunch. Um, but the music, his music in Honor, Magic Secret Service m- might be his best. So there's, there's some, Ooh. I think so. There's some good, good stuff coming up with that. Nice. Well, we have a different movie before that, don't we? Yes. Uh, so we're going to go back to a, a Netflix movie movie that's not based on a comic book but is very much might as well be it's called project power it comes out august 14th starring joseph gordon levitt and jamie fox um kind of about this this pill that gives people superpowers for five minutes i think um and joseph gordon levitt plays a cop that 
is trying to get to the bottom of this, you know, where this drug's coming from, and I think takes it to. I watched some of the trailer, but I uh, didn't want to keep watching it, so watched the movie in two weeks. Then Jamie Foxx's daughter is caught up in it too, and it's. We'll see if it's you know like the old guard. It yeah, you know it has big names. Another we'll, middling know. Netflix action movie or something yeah. more. I'm, I'm this one, the the budget on the effects from what I saw looked looked pretty good and uh, you know it'll be a little more kind of dynamic with the action and excitement here so at least hopefully it'll yeah. be it'll be fun um, but yeah that comes out August August 14th so that should be kind of interesting and again another at least something new yep <laughs> in Definitely. a in a year where we've had so little new movies so yep yeah I'll be I, I know yeah. even less about it than you do so I'll be interested to see what it is. And then after that, you know, where I guess that's, that's mid-August, we get to September or end of August where supposedly some of these movies are going to be coming out. So, we'll have to stay tuned on that. But there'll be more Bond in the future as well. Looking forward to it. Yeah, this is awesome, too. man. Yeah. So, if thanks for listening. If you've been enjoying the show, please give us a rating review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. That'll help the show grow. And we will catch you next time for Project Power. Doctorate?